Welcome to Overlake. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. You might want to grab your notes out of your handout. And we are continuing our series through Galatians. And sort of in the, the vein of that video, I do want to extend uh, the, the welcome. Happy Mother's Day. We are excited to honor moms, to honor moms of all stripes. We're really thankful for the investment that moms have made in us. Uh, we also recognize it can be a bit complicated. And so if for whatever reason Mother's Day brings up sort of emotional conflict within you, we just want to recognize that and we want to say thank you for being here. We count it an honor to be with you uh, today. Uh, the second thing is I really do want to encourage you to be reading through the book of Galatians. We're studying Galatians. This is our fourth weekend, and we got a few more weeks. Please be journeying with us on your own in terms of reading, in terms of studying. Uh, we have an opportunity to respond each week by checking a box, and then we'll send out an email. And, you know, kind of here's the deal. My mom would really want you to read Galatians, okay? So... So make sure you're, you're tracking along with us. And if you're filling in the blanks, let's just jump into the first truth and we'll get going. The first truth is that grace is God's undeserved favor toward us. Grace is God's undeserved favor toward us. And, and so favor, the favor part is it's, it's from God and the favor is his love over us, his blessing toward us, his provision for us, both physical and spiritual. The, the way in which God views us, he views us through the lens of his son Jesus, this beautiful favor that we have in God and it's toward us, right? So we are the recipients of this favor and it is undeserved right it's completely undeserved that we on our own merit on our own strength our own energy we have not earned this we don't deserve God's limitless profound eternal unfailing love nevertheless he delights to pour it out over our lives again and again and again and what we learned in the series is that it might be easy for us to say that we understand it in a clinical or academic setting like this one, but it is much more difficult for us to go out into our lives and to try to get our minds and our arms around this vast ocean of grace that God has for us. And really, that's what Paul is going after all the way through this book of Galatians. What Paul is most often arguing, and if you've been here these last few weeks, you've, you've recognized this. He's arguing against the law and, and the law mentality. Specifically, he's talking about the Jewish law. But what we see is there's this religious spirit that as humans, we tend to make accommodation for in our own hearts. We come up with this desire to do things on our own strength, to try to earn the favor, the merit before the Lord. And Paul is so completely arguing against that framework. It's not about what we do. That's what all religion is, is about what we do. But Paul's saying, no, no, it's all about grace. It's all about what God has done, right? He has already opened this up for us. And then, as, as we start in Galatians chapter 4, what Paul does is he tries to get us to think differently. He gives us an analogy to think differently about the relationship specifically to the, the Jewish law, to this new grace that, that is available to us in Jesus Christ. And so this is the analogy he used. He says in verse 1, think of it this way. 
If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. Okay, so the analogy is pretty simple. Same picture a man with a vast estate. He's got, you know, the manor on the hill and all of the fields and the farming and the little cottages where the farmers live. And he's got the stables and the horses. Basically, he's saying it's Downton Abbey. And, and you, you picture this, and, and it's a single dad who, who passes away, and he's got kids that inherit everything. But they're only 18 months old, 24 months old. They're so young. So what happens is there are guardians that are entrusted to steward over the entire inheritance, the entire estate, and the guardians are entrusted to help raise up these children until whatever age the father is set. So until they're age 18 or until they're 21 or until they're 26, whatever it is where, where, where the children are now come into their full adulthood and they're the ones that can be in charge themselves. Now, in this analogy, I want you to think, when is Paul saying that the children inherit everything? He's saying it's always theirs. It's always been all theirs. However, they've had to live, as he says, no better than slaves. They've had to obey the guardians that were entrusted to care for them while they were being raised up. And so the analogy is he's saying the Jewish law was like those guardians. The Jewish law was, were, were the parameters, the restrictions. They were the, the roadmap to help raise up the Jewish people until such time as they were ready for this new ownership, until they were ready to own it all themselves. And then in verse 4, he talks about what that looks like. He says, but when the right time came... Interesting this, the, the, the right time. Many scholars have kind of fed into what Paul's talking about because Paul uses this phrase a couple of different times in his writings, the right time. And this conjunction of where the, the history of the world was, the connectedness of the ancient world because of the Roman Empire, how travel was now available, how ideas spread from city center to city center. It's just this incredible conjunction of technological and, and sort of... Uh, the ability to travel, all this advance came together, literally transversing through the place called Israel. So God in his infinite wisdom had all of this in mind. Just the right time, he sent his son, Jesus, born of a woman, Paul says. That's a reference to Mother Mary, who comes to me speaking words of wisdom. Uh, just kidding. Uh, the, it's... It, it's it this is a reference to moms like this is your moment right here this is as good as it gets in Galatians a reference to Mary happy Mother's Day you're welcome okay born of a woman and then he says and subject to the law right he was born under the law and so I want you to remember what we've talked about uh, before we'll talk about this again over Lake that Jesus came as the fulfillment of the law Jesus came and he lived his life in what I'm going to call total and perfect adherence 
to the spirit of the law, or a better way to say it, to the Father's intent for the law. Right? Jesus, he, he lived his life just boom, right on the money, like exactly as the Father intended. And what Jesus did is he is the fulfillment of the law, and now he points ahead to the freedom that we have from the law. So Galatians 4, 5, Paul says, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Okay, so let's unpack that. Jesus purchased freedom for us, right? God sent Jesus to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. Now, this is the unique work that Jesus accomplishes on the cross of Calvary. This is where Jesus lived his life as the perfect fulfillment of the law. And then he gives his life as the sacrifice for sin. And then Jesus is resurrected to this new life, paving the way for you and I to live new life by the Spirit of God and the power of God. So all of these things are accomplished uniquely through the person of Jesus who came to purchase grace for us, right? To buy grace and freedom for us. And then there's these, these two words, Paul says, so that. Let's take a look at what the so that is. So that he could adopt us as his very own children. If you want to fill in the blank, the next one is grace adopts us as God's very own children. And adoption is one of the metaphors that's used in scripture to talk about this new relationship we have with our heavenly father. And specifically, it's an analogy of what salvation looks like. Salvation is not just what happens when this life is over. Salvation is what happens throughout the whole course of our life and our spiritual journey. And this is the relationship that the Bible talks about again and again, this idea of adoption. And it's, it's beautifully powerful for me personally. Many of you know this, that, that our family is an adoptive family, and it's a road that God's called us on. And so for me, uh, of all of the analogies that the Scripture uses to talk about this new relationship we have with our Heavenly Father, for me, adoption is the most powerful. Many years ago, when we were over in South Africa, and South Africa is where uh, our son comes from, and so we were over there kind of getting ready to, to finalize that adoption, and, and I remember somebody gave us a, a little poem, and the poem, it really spoke to me in that season, and so I wanted to find it to share with you. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find the actual poem that somebody gave me, so, so this week I went online, and I just I, I, I put in the search engine, um, adoption poetry. And all kinds of, of things came up. And, and you know, it, there, it was corny. It was hallmarky. Like, there was all kinds of... And it didn't matter. I'm sitting on my couch reading these and just crying. I'm just, like, weeping, kind of ugly cry, sobbing. Because this is... It's just such a beautiful and powerful way that God has, has worked in my own life. And it transformed my own family. So I'm just so thankful for this. But let me... Let me I did find the one that was given to me. So let me just read it to you. It says... Not of my flesh nor bone of my bone, but still miraculously my own. Never forget for a single minute, you didn't grow under my heart, but in it. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture of the intentionality of God choosing to adopt us, right? 
And some of you already know this, that the Greco-Roman, the, the ancient concept of adoption was very present in the Roman world. And yet it was different, that it actually was a stronger bond than the bond of a biological family. That, that adoption in the Roman world, it involved a process, and oftentimes that process would not be completed until the child was an adult. And so what would happen is that, you know, a, a family, a parents, mom and dad would say, this is the, the way that we want to go. We'll engage in this, and it'll be a legal process, and we will finally complete this thing. The, the child themselves was also a part of that process. And then when it was complete, when it was finally legalized in the Roman, uh, you know, framework, it was irrevocable. And, and Roman law allowed for parents to disown or disinherit their biological children. But it was forbidden, I, I mean, you know, if, if, if they were just brats, right, or they didn't get you enough flowers on Mother's Day, whatever, like, you just disown them, right? But it was forbidden for anyone to try to disown or disinherit a child that they had legally adopted into their family. And the reasoning behind this practice was because your biological kids might have grown within you, but your adopted kids had grown within your will. And you had been intentionally a part of that process. And, and you had been strategic and you had been mindful all the way through. And, and so because of your choice, you could not now undo it. And this is what God has done for you and for me. God has known us completely, and God has loved us completely. And so God has done everything possible, everything necessary and required to go through that process so that he could adopt you as his very own son or his very own daughter. Friends, Paul says this even more strongly when he writes his letter to the Ephesians. Take a look at this. He says in Ephesians 1.4, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. All right, this passage tells us a few things. The first is that God's plan A, even before the foundations of the world were set, his plan A, his, his intentionality always has been to adopt you and, and to adopt me into his family. This has always been his plan through Jesus Christ. The second thing we see is that is it, this is what he wanted to do, Paul says, which means that you are a child of God's will. He wanted you. He saw you. He knew you. He wanted you. He's the one who's pursued you. Amen. You are a child of his will. The second thing this says is that it gave him great pleasure, which means that you're a child of God's delight. You're a child of his delight. You're a child of God's will and his delight. In fact, that's the next fill-in if you're taking notes. Grace makes us children of God's will and his delight. I'm reminded of that video we saw just a few moments ago where when the moms were, were asked how they parent, all they could see is how they fail. It was as if the question was, how do you fail as a parent? Because that was all they could see. 
But when the kids were asked, hey, tell me about your mom, all they could see was what they loved. All they could see was what was delightful. Friends, you are delightful to God. You are a child of his will. You're a child of his delight. And all this, by the way, is through Jesus. Jesus is the one who opens us up to this relationship. Paul says this in Galatians 3, 26. For you are all children of God through faith. Could you please circle those words? Through faith in Christ Jesus. So it's by believing in Jesus that we become God's kids. It's by our faith in Jesus that he adopts us. And just like an adoption here on earth, the Lord gives us a powerful new identity. And he provides a home for us, belonging. He gives us an incredible family, a loving family with one another. He gives us a wonderful future ahead. And he provides us nourishment each and every day by his spirit and by his word. And, and in, in those ways, right, as, as earthly parents, as moms, as you do these things for your children and your family, you are being like God because God is the one who does these things for us. And by the way, our orphan care ministry at Overlake Friends, this is one of those ways where we try to really go hard after something that we say is of value. So Pastor Michelle on our team, heavily invested, just, just waist deep in caring for orphans and helping adoptive families, foster families, our refresh conference. We have a, a law center that's housed here. Andrew is our, our advocate and the, and the head of that operation, the Children's Law Center, and the, specializing in adoptive law. And, and then um, special delivery. So this is one of those things where we want to make sure that we're living out the value that we see in the scripture. What does it look like for us to care like God cares? And so God values adoption. We want to value it as well. Verse 6 in Galatians 4, Paul says, Because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. So because we are his children, again, how is that possible? It's through our faith in Jesus that we become his children. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And so we welcome God's spirit within us. God comes and dwells within our hearts. And so we want to make sure that we welcome him in, that we prepare him room to dwell. And not only just to come and to dwell, but we want to make sure that, that we've sort of uh, made it comfortable for him, right? We want to clean up the place a little bit. I don't know how it is in your world, but, but when you're having guests come over, stay, I, I'm guessing that you probably do a few things around the house to prepare for your guests who are going to arrive. This week, we, I, I'm so thrilled. We, we have some guests in from out of town. And the reason why we have guests in from out of town is because there's a U2 concert happening tonight. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, nothing says Mother's Day like a U2 concert. By the way, I said in the last service, U2 is on God's iPod. And, and it was silent. And then afterwards, I was thinking, I need to tell the crowd, you know, you need to look up who is you too. And then the next thing you need is, what is iPod, right? Because, like, I'm so, like, non-culturally relevant. But anyway, 
The whole point is that, that we had guests coming in, and so it was actually a delight to kind of prepare the house a little bit and to clean up a little bit and do the dishes and, you know, make the beds with clean sheets, right, and to make the dog smell slightly less horrible than he always smells and, and just, just stuff like that, right, just to show, hey, we care. And here's the deal. Like, like that's how we want to be with the Lord. The Lord, right, through faith in Jesus Jesus now comes and dwells within us. His spirit dwells within us. And he says, I'm never going to leave. I'm never going to forsake you. So we get a chance to prepare him room, right? We want to honor him with our hearts. And this, he says, it prompts us to call out, Abba, Father. I want to be clear. This is not Abba of Dancing Queen fame. Uh, nor is it Abba Zabba of taffy with delightful peanut butter filling, although the Lord affirms both of those things. No, no, this is Abba, Father. Now, Abba is one of those incredible words. It's in Aramaic, and Abba is, it, it is literally translated as Father. So some of your translations would just say Father. But here's what's interesting. Many of you who have studied language know this, that language does not only communicate a literal meaning, it also communicates context or relationship. So in most languages, there are words that you would use in formal context to communicate honor, respect, and propriety. And then there are other words that you would use to communicate in informal context to communicate relationship or proximity. But Abba is one of those interesting words. It's actually informal in Aramaic. So some of your translations would also say daddy or, or dad or papa. So informal, communicating relationship or affection. But it also communicates respect and honor. It's like Abba spans the spectrum and it's as if when we say Abba to our Heavenly Father, we're saying, I could not have more affection for you. I, it's impossible for me to have more desire for you because I'm absolutely at the limit for how much I love you and adore you and am devoted to you. And at the same time, it's saying, and I couldn't respect you more. I, I couldn't honor you more. I, I, I want everything about my thoughts and my, my behavior to bring you honor and, and to be glorifying to you. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful concept. And so that's the next fill-in, that grace says that God is our gracious Abba. He's our gracious daddy, but not in just the familial. It's in the familial, yes, but also the high honor and respect and I, I do want to say that for those of us who have broken relationships with earthly parents, this concept can be powerfully redemptive for us. You know, for some of us, it really is hard to come to church on Mother's Day or Father's Day. That just for whatever reasons. There are many, many reasons. And yet, here's an example of the Lord stepping in as our perfect and unconditionally loving, eternally gracious Father. You know, last week... We celebrated the life of a, an incredible young man, 15-year-old Chaz Bruner. And many of you were here. This room was absolutely packed. If you don't know the story, Chaz, about a month ago, he, he died tragically and unexpectedly because of a, a rare heart situation. 
I've known Chaz for years. He's just, he's just an incredible light. And even Chaz, even as you hear his name, as I heard his name for the first time, I thought, what a, what a unique and cool name. What a, what a strong name. And I've known his parents, Matt and Catherine, and I can only imagine how hard today is Mother's Day and their loss being so fresh. I asked Matt this week if I could share this story with you, and, and he said yes. The Saturday before the memorial, there was a bit of an open house, and so I was there, and, and Matt, Chaz's dad, was kind of showing me around a little bit. He was introducing me to some family members and some friends of his, and it, it was a good night connecting relationally. And at the, end of his night, at the end of the night, Matt came over to me and said, Hey, Pastor Mike, I, I'd love to introduce you to my dad before you go. And I said, oh, that'd be great. I'd love to. And so we kind of come over, and he, he takes me to a, a good-looking older gentleman, and, and he, says, he says, Dad, I want to introduce you to Pastor Mike. He said, Mike, this is Chaz. And it just landed on me. This is Chaz's namesake, that this is the grandfather who's just lost his grandson, who is named after him. And it just hit me, what an incredible relationship that Matt must have with Chaz, his dad, to want to name his firstborn son the same name. How much affection must there be? How much love and delight in one another relationally must there have been for him to say, when my firstborn son arrives, I want to name him after my dad. See, it's, it's really, really rare. I, you might not know as many people as I know. That's rare. Look, here's what's not rare. What's not rare is for a name to get passed generationally, right? So, you know, dad's name's Thomas, the kid's name's Thomas, next, you know, like everybody's name. So then you got Thomas III, Thomas IV, Thomas V, like that happens. But when that's going on, you're not really naming your kid after your ancestors. You're naming them after yourself. It's far more selfish, right? No, no, it's so rare that there's this relationship with a parent that is so rich that is filled with affection and honor so much that you want to pass that on to your own kids. That's Abba. And that's what we cry out to our Father, Abba, Father. It's this, the picture of beautiful honor, this idea, I, I, I respect you so much, and I value your opinion so much in my life, and at the same time, and I have such affection for you, and I want to be close to you. I want our relationship to be rich and then Paul continues in verse 7. He says, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you're his child, God has made you his heir. Now, this is a reference, going back a few verses, to Paul's analogy of that inheritance left by a father to his young kids. But even though they own everything, they're still slaves to their guardians. What he's saying here is before Jesus arrived, we are all slaves somewhere. 
We're either slaves to sin or we're slaves to law. But now through faith in Jesus, you are God's child. He has adopted you into his family. He's placed his spirit within you. He's given you blessing and salvation and himself. And since you're his child, he has made you his heir. And you're free, right? You're free from being a slave to sin. You're free from being a slave to the law. That means it's all yours. The whole inheritance is yours. We're ready for the inheritance of God in this life and in the next. In another situation, Paul writes that we are co-heirs with Christ. That means everything that Jesus inherits, we, his brothers and sisters in faith, also inherit from the Lord. That is radical, right? That should be an incredible assurance in life or a joy builder for us. And as I was talking to the creative team this week, the analogy that came to mind, many of you might have seen this film. It's the movie Annie, the old school movie with the kind of the red hair Annie and Daddy Warbucks. And you might remember that she goes from that hard knock life of hers uh, and she's taken over to Daddy Warbucks and and they, they take her into the mansion, right? This palatial estate and, and, and they show her the indoor swimming pool and they bathe the dog and they show her the bedroom and the whole time they're singing, you know, when you wake, ring for Drake, Drake will bring your tray. When you're through, Mrs. Pugh comes to take it away. I might have seen this movie a few more times than is healthy. <laughs> but what does she say, right, when she gets there? She says, I think I'm going to like it here, right? That's her thing. But but remember, she's only a guest. She's only a visitor. It's, the whole thing is for a photo op. It's just a media stunt for Daddy Warbucks, you know, during the Depression. And, and, and yet, over the course of the movie, if you remember how the story progresses, at the end, she is fully adopted as his daughter. And now it's not just that she gets to enjoy all of his things, but they are also her things as well. Now it's not only uh, his future, but their, their futures are intertwined, that there's this, this beautiful sense of he has made her his very own child, and that's why the sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. It's a horrible bet to make in Seattle. Never make that bet. I don't care what the app says, it's lying. But you get the point, right? That, the, the story is, is that, that beautiful transition, uh, you know, moving from uh, I'm just a guest to now all of the inheritance has been given to me. The most beautiful picture I've ever seen of this, Pastor Josh and I were in South Africa about eight or nine years ago, and, and we were visiting our partners in orphan care there at a children's home named Timbaletu, which is... Translated, I have a destiny. And while we were there, we got this incredible honor, this glimpse to see one of the little boys there being picked up by his adoptive family and taken back. They were from, the family was from Denmark, so they had arrived from Denmark and they were taking him back. And, and we got a chance to kind of ask the director about their process and, and they let us know that about two weeks before the adoptive family were to arrive, they were to send a, a book over to the child who was being adopted. And the book was to contain primarily photos. 
photos of the parents, photos of any siblings, photos, you know, of the bedroom and toys and maybe the school that they were going to and kind of just think about how you would want to help orient uh, a child from this children's home in South Africa into the new life that they're going to live as a part of your family. And we'd been there all week and, and so I had a, a chance to meet this little boy and and talk with him. And what was interesting is if you ask him, hey, what's that little book that you're holding? He would delight to sit down and open it up. And he would say, these are my folks. And he'd turn the page. I have a cat. <laughs> he'd turn the page. This is my sister. He'd turn the page. This is my bedroom. I'm going to go to school here. We talked to the director. She said, for the entire 10 days that that book had been in his possession, that little boy had never put it down. He's swinging on the swings. He'd swing one-handed, holding that book the whole time. <laughs> Climb up on the big toy. He'd be jumping on the trampoline. The whole time, he'd be holding his sweaty little hand, that book. Why? Because it communicated something so powerful and so precious to his heart. Amen. And do you know that God has given you a book just like that? God has given you a book, and when you open it up, you say, oh, this, this is my father. And these, these are my family. And you know what? I have a home. I have a home, and, and this is nourishment for today, and, and, and I am a child of God. And all of the inheritance that's coming to Jesus comes to me through faith in him. And it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of how this thing plays itself out practically in our lives. You see, God adopts us as his very own children because of grace. Not because we earn it, but because of grace. God loves us. And God is our Abba, Father. He, he's the one who is so gracious toward us, and he just wants to wrap us up in him. And this adoption process, this is all possible through the person of Jesus Christ. It's all possible from, from what it is that he accomplished, not what we accomplished. And Paul starts, he, he says this thing about slaves. He's, he says, what does he say about slaves in the verse? The verse says, now you are no longer a slave. You know, my Bible, right above that, I wrote, reject slave mentality. Amen. Reject it. Because it's so easy for us to make accommodation to a religious spirit. It's so easy for us to slip back and be mastered by the things, the sinful desires we've had or, or the sinful practices that are so selfish or rude or self-serving. Like we can get back mastered and, and be slaves again to that. Or what I see so often in the church, we become slaves to the religious spirit again. And we build up law again. And we've got to do these things, accomplish these things, make sure that we're checking off the spiritual checklist every day or else God won't like us anymore. And it's, it's like we, we just have to earn the love of God. And, and Paul says, no, no, reject slave mentality. You are no longer a slave. But you are children of God. And your heart cries out, Abba, Father. So friends, this is why we have to preach grace to ourselves again and again and again, you are no longer a slave in Jesus. You are not a slave to the law. 
You are not a slave to sin, but you are God's very own son or God's very own daughter. And this is all through Jesus. So next week, we're actually going to talk more about the freedom that we have in Christ. Paul starts Galatians 5.1, talks about you are, you are set free, and so don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So we're going to talk about what that looks like, what living with Jesus and for Jesus looks like. But right now, as we close our time, I just want you to think about this. I want you to ask Jesus to show you, so what does it mean? What what are the full ramifications? If I'm your son, if I'm your daughter, if, if I'm God's very own child, what are the ramifications for my relationship with Abba? All right, why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord Jesus, there might be somebody here who has never stepped across the line of faith and said yes to receiving this incredible blanket, this ocean of grace that you have for us. It's this ocean that cleanses us, this ocean that gives us hope and strength, this ocean that, that propels us and carries us forward through the difficulties of life, and, and this ocean that fills our life with hope and expectation that when our journey on earth is over, that we are awaited in heaven by you. And we love you for that, that promise. And so maybe there's somebody here who wants to step across the line of faith today and say, yes, yes, I receive this gift of grace. Yes, I believe in you, Jesus. And Lord, regardless of if it's the first time that we think these thoughts or that, that we they think about them thousands and thousands of times, we do affirm that we are adopted into your family by the grace of Jesus Christ. We affirm right now that, that we have the full rights of sons and daughters in your kingdom because of the grace that you have for us. We just confess that we know it's not on our own merit. It's not on anything that we've done. It's not on anything that we are in and of ourselves, but it's because of your grace alone that we have access to all of this richness, all of this love, all this inheritance, all through Jesus Christ. So we're thankful. We're profoundly thankful today. And we ask that as we live our lives this week that you would show us how we work this out, how we understand more and more of what it means to be your very own, children of your will and children of your delight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.